If you will, uh, grab a Bible, open up with me to Romans chapter 3. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, there should be some there in front of you. I'd love for you to grab, grab one of those. Uh, we're going to be on page 941 if you're using those Bibles tonight. Uh, if you don't have a Bible, if you don't own a Bible, maybe if you got to college and realized you forgot your Bible, there are two tables in the back that look like, they're, they're Bibles that look like these. We would love for you to grab one of those on your way out. Uh, that's our gift to you. If you have a roommate or somebody in your life that needs a Bible, uh, please feel free to take those. That's why we, we've got them for you uh, to take with you. So Romans chapter 3 is where we're going to be tonight. Uh, my name is Kyle. Uh, you probably figured out by now I am not Terrell. Uh, and uh, man, I'm excited to be with you guys tonight. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace. Uh, my wife and I moved here to Nacogdoches in 2006, and we moved here really just to be a part of this. Uh, we moved here to be a part of, of Crosspoint and what God was doing on the campus of SFA. Uh, both my wife and I, uh, our, our lives were changed when we were in college, and so we just had this incredible passion to see uh, college students' lives changed by the gospel of Jesus Christ. And an opportunity just uh, opened for us to come here, and, and we've been here for about six years now. Uh, for about five years, this was my life. Got to do Crosspoint, got to lead Crosspoint. Then about a year and a half ago, uh, Terrell came in and took over. And man, I just I love what God is, is doing here. I love what God is doing in you guys and through you guys. And uh, a lot of the prayers we've been praying for, for six, seven years now have been answered in what you guys are doing on the campus. And so I'm glad you're here. Uh, I want to tell you a little bit about myself. Uh, introduce you to my family really quickly, then we'll jump into Romans chapter 3. Uh, I've got a wife and two kids. This is my little girl, Anna. Anna is four years old. Uh, we got to go to Florida this summer, so this is us on the airplane. She got window seat. Uh, I tried to fight her for her, but she wouldn't let me have it. Uh, she's four. She has got me wrapped around her little finger. Uh, what she wants, she pretty much gets. Uh, and and about, uh, about two weeks ago, I had a little four-year-old boy tell me that she was go- he was going to marry my daughter. Uh, I, I had never had the urge to choke out a four-year-old, and I resisted that urge, uh, but, but she, this is my little girl, Anna. Uh, this is my wife, Katie, and my little boy, Caleb. Uh, Caleb is about to turn three in a few weeks, and this is them. There, there's apparently some lady, I don't know what she's doing back there, but she, she apparently is not happy, but this is my, my beautiful wife, Katie, and my little boy, Caleb, and he's, uh, he's a blast. He's three years old, and so that's who we are. Uh, that's that's kind of my life. We're running around like crazy trying to figure out how to keep our kids alive, but uh, we, we love being here, um, and I just want to tell you briefly my story, uh, just tell you who I am, and then really just use that to, to launch into to our text tonight. Um, I grew up in a Christian home. I grew up with Christian parents. Uh, when I was seven years old, I accepted Christ my Lord and Savior. Um, I have awesome parents, and so I can honestly never remember a day of my life that I didn't know who Jesus was and I didn't know the stories of Scripture. And and I look back on that and I'm just so incredibly thankful that my parents, uh, before we went to bed every night, they prayed with me. And before we went to bed, they they taught me about Scripture. And so at seven, I accepted Christ and I got baptized. And I kind of grew up uh, in this this little church bubble. Uh, I grew up uh, near Amarillo, Texas, and Bible Belt, uh, pretty much everything you could imagine from small town uh, Christianity. I grew up in that. And I would tell you from the time I was seven when I accepted Christ, really until I went into college, um, I considered myself a Christian, I considered myself a follower of Christ, and I would tell you that, that I loved Jesus, and, and I, I went to church, and I went to camps, and I did that whole thing, but the entire time from the time I was seven until the time I was 20, there was just, some, uh, just something missing, and I, I couldn't figure out what it was. And I would go to church, and I would go to camp, and I would look around, and it looked as if everybody else around me 
had it figured out and, and knew what was going on and, and were raising their hands to worship and th- their lives were together and yet for me I was, I was struggling and, and I knew that if, if I died that, that Christ had saved me and I got to spend eternity with him and, and I was thankful for that. But really outside of that, everything else in my life, I was just struggling. Uh, and of course I never opened up and told anybody that because I didn't think I could. Uh, and, and I just began to struggle with, with what it meant to be a Christian and why it was that I could know about Christ and even know Christ as my Lord and still just feel so, so empty. And, and so I would tell you that, that for me from 7 until mid-20s, um, I loved Jesus. I was trying really, really hard to do what I, I knew the Bible told me to do. But, but if you were to ask me what Christianity felt like, I, I brought a prop. This was Christianity to me. And some of you may be able to relate. Christianity was just this weight that was on me constantly. It was just this weight, and, and I didn't know how to explain that to people, and I didn't know where that was coming from, but even knowing Jesus Christ, my Lord and Savior, I just felt this constant weight that was just pushing on me and, and grinding on me, and, and just I, I didn't know what, what to do with it. And I'm imagining that some of you are coming here tonight and you know exactly what I'm talking about. You, you've heard about Jesus and you, you've, you've read the Bible and you know that, that Jesus came to save you and yet for some reason this is what Christianity feels like to you. There's just this weight that just keeps grinding on you and, and pushing on you and, and it, it, it just feels like this incredible burden, this incredible weight that's on, on your shoulders. And so this is really what I want to talk about tonight. Why is it that, that for, for so many of us, when it comes to Christianity, when it comes to following Christ, it just feels like this weight? What is that feeling? Where is that, that coming from? Uh, I, I want to ask you to be really honest right now. If, if that's how Christianity feels to you most of the time or some of the time, just raise your hand. You just, you just feel this weight. This is a great place to be honest. You just feel this weight that just kind of crushes down and, and presses down on you. So look at all the hands. So, so you're not alone in that. And see, I had bought into this lie that maybe I'm alone. Maybe I'm the only one feeling that. Where is that that coming from? And so I want us to look in Romans 3 tonight because uh, when I began to understand this, I was freed from this weight. And and something began to happen in me and something began to happen for me that that changed everything. See, tonight I'm talking about this topic of the gospel and the law. The, the gospel and the law, and we're going to look at, at Romans chapter 3, these, these verses in Romans chapter 3 that, that explain to us the gospel and the law, and it's actually in understanding the gospel and the law that we're going to understand this weight, where it comes from, what, what it's all about, and then what Christ has ultimately done for us to, to free us from that feeling of this weight being upon us. And so as we talk about the gospel and the law, I, I just want to make sure you all understand what I'm talking about. If you've been here the past few weeks, Terrell has been unpacking for you what the gospel is, especially uh, the, that gospel, the gospel that, that Jesus has saved us and that he's forgiven us based on who he is and, and that we are not accepted before God because we're good and because, like Isaac prayed, we've got it all figured out, that, that the Bible actually teaches us that we're forgiven and that we're accepted because of, of Christ's righteousness. So if you've been here the last few weeks, Terrell has really been going into that and and talking about that. And I just want to pick up where he left off, and I want us to talk about the gospel and the law. Uh, I have just a few introductory thoughts here that that maybe maybe will catch you up, maybe will help us all understand where we're coming from. But as you read the Bible, if you've ever sat down with Scripture, the Bible is full of two things. It's full of promises, and, and we call the promises of Scripture the gospel. That's what Terrell has been talking about for a few weeks here. And there's also the part that we call the the law. And the law really are the commands of Scripture. 
So if you've ever sat down and began to read Scripture, you'll notice very quickly that the, the Bible has a lot of promises. It has a lot of, of things that we're told that God has done for us and that he looks on us and gives us freely. But then there are also these, these other parts that are just commands, the, the do's and the don'ts, and, and really these things about Scripture that we learn that we're supposed to do and, and not supposed to do as Christians. Uh, you can divide those two up into the gospel and the law. The gospel is really the promises. It's God's action on our behalf. It's what he's done, what he is doing, and what he will do on our behalf. And then there's this other section called the law, and the law is just the do's and don'ts of Scripture. It's, it's the commands that as you read the Bible, you can't miss that there are a lot of things that the Bible says we should do. There are a lot of things the Bible says that we shouldn't do. And so like I said, Terrell has begun for us the last few weeks unpacking the gospel and what he said over and over and over again is, is the beautiful news of the gospel that God accepts you based on Christ, Christ's righteousness, not your own. That's the message of the gospel, that, that Christ accepts you, that, that God accepts you based on Christ's goodness, based on Christ's righteousness, not your own. And, and so what that means for you and what I hope is freeing to you is that you can't behave your way into God's acceptance. You can't be good enough, you can't work hard enough, you can't go through the right set of motions and all of a sudden God looks down on you and he's somehow impressed and then somehow lets you be his son and daughter. See, the scripture actually says that we are made sons and daughters because Christ was good, because Christ was righteous, and that our act is to put our faith in what Christ did and because of faith in Christ, we're adopted into the family of God, not because we're good, not because we're smart, but because, because Christ was. And so that's what Terrell's been, been talking about. Um, if you've been here, the, the question that should be coming up in your mind is, well, then why is there so many commands in Scripture? If we're accepted because of what Christ has done and what Christ is doing in us, how come the Bible is filled with so many commands? How, how come there is a law? And how come there, there are these page after page after page of God telling us, here's what you need to do, what's that all about? And that's what we call the law. That's, that's what I want to talk to you about tonight. Why is there so many commands in Scripture? Uh, the, the second introductory point is this, that, that both the gospel and the law are, are good because both are from God. And I think this is important to point out, that, that both the gospel and the law are good because God created both of them. And so what, what tends to happen for, for a lot of us, if you grew up in a very legalistic church, you hate the law. Um, I grew up in a very legalistic church, and so my weird church story, we all have weird church stories. Mine happened in eighth grade. Um, in eighth grade, I was going to a church, and uh, in eighth grade, I was responsible for planning our eighth grade prom. Uh, so that's a huge deal, right? We, we had to plan. So me and my parents, were, we're working through planning the eighth grade prom, and we're going to make this thing awesome, and we're going to have this great dance. And um, I was going to a little, a little Southern Baptist church that I, I didn't know at the time, but they believed that dancing was a sin. And so in the middle of planning this eighth grade prom, uh, the, the, the pastor shows up at our house. That's never a good thing when the pastor shows up at your house. And he knocks on the door, and I remember he sat down with me and my parents, and he basically just said, hey, if you guys go through with this, then you don't need to come back. I remember being like, awesome. I like, I like to sleep in on Sunday morning anyway. That's gr that sounds like a great deal to me. Uh, I couldn't give up my gift of dance for the Lord, so I was just like, man, I'm going to dance, and, and I get to sleep in on Sunday morning. That's a, that's a great deal. But, but at that point, I remember thinking, is that what church is about? There, there's rules, and, and there's all these things that I have to do to, to keep God happy, and apparently God hates dancing, so I shouldn't do that. See, see, a lot of you grew up in a background like that where you went to church, and all you heard was rule after rule after rule after rule after rule after rule. You never heard the gospel. 
You never heard what Terrell's talked about the last two weeks, that God isn't looking down on you, keeping score, so that he may or may not let you into heaven. That God's actually going to let you into heaven based on what you do with his son, Jesus Christ. That that's the good news of the gospel. And that the laws are not some scorecard that God's keeping in heaven, trying to see if you deserve to get into heaven or not. And so if, if you grew up in that environment, here's what happens. You begin to hate the law. You begin to hate every rule, all rules. You see a rule, you try to break a rule because you realize that, that I just hate rules. I'm not going to live like that. And you begin to look at the rules of Scripture and say, the law is bad, that the rules are bad, that the, the, the rules are something that dishonors God. When in fact, the creator of all of these laws, the creator of all these rules was actually God. You see, see, what's going on is that for a lot of us, we've seen the rules abused, we've seen the rules taken out of context, and we've seen the rules try to do something that they weren't created to do, and so we become very bitter and very angry at these rules, when in fact, the problem is not the rules, and that's what we're going to see tonight. The problem is what the rules were, tried, were, were used for in our lives. See, God creates, and when God creates anything, it's good, and it's important for you to understand that. God is the creator, and when God creates anything, it's good. And so throughout creation, God has created, and when he, lo- when he creates something, he creates it, and he says, this is good. This is something that I've created for the good of mankind. And then what happens w- w- without exception is that we take what God creates good and we twist it. And we take what God has created good, and, and Satan is so good at helping us figure out how to twist it, but we take something that God has created for our good and we twist it, and we make it into something that God didn't intend it to be, and it does damage. And, and so think about the, the entire realm of, of sexuality. God created sex. It was his idea. He creates it for our good and, and for us, and he gives it to us as a gift. And then we take his gift of sexuality, and we, we twist it, and we do with it what we want to do with it. We, we play by our own rules, and we say, this is something that, that I'm going to use for my benefit, and it becomes something that, that destroys. God's good creation, twisted just a little bit, becomes something that that destroys. And so this is what we do with the law. A good gift that God has given us, we twist it, we make it into something that it was not intended for, and then we get become angry and bitter towards it. And so we'll look into that a little bit more tonight, but, but it's important to realize that the law was God's idea. The law was his invention. He was giving us these laws for a reason. The problem is most of you have been told the wrong reason for the law. You've been using the, the law for something that it wasn't intended for, it wasn't created for, and so in reaction to that, you become very bitter and angry towards the law. One more introductory point, then we'll jump into this text. See, that they are only good if they are used for what God intended them for. These things, and this, this, this applies to all of God's creation, these things are only good if, if they're used for what God intended them to be used for. And, and so it's important for us to understand and to ask this question, why did God create the law? Why did God give us so many commands? Why, why did he create the law? And I want you to listen closely to this because this is where most of you have missed it. The law was never intended to save you. Do you understand that? The law was not created to save you. It was created for something completely different, which we'll get to in just a minute. But a lot of you have been trying to use the law to save you, and because it can't save you, you're frustrated and you're angry and you're bitter at religion, and all of a sudden, religion just feels like this incredible weight upon your shoulders. The, the law can, can never save you. It wasn't intended to save you. That, that's something that only the, the gospel can do. 
And so the, 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 law, the law is not the gospel, and it, it can't do what the, only the gospel can do. Only the gospel can save you. But that doesn't mean that the law doesn't have a purpose. It, it has this very specific purpose designed by God, and, and it's good. And so I want us to look in Romans chapter 3, and I, I hope that tonight as we begin to work our way through this text, this is just such a beautiful text that begins to explain to us the gospel and, and the law. And Paul's going to tell us that the reason that Christianity feels like a weight to so many of us is because we've misunderstood the purpose of the gospel and of the law, both of which God created for our good for our benefit. And so let's look at Romans chapter 3. We're going to begin in in verse 19, and Paul's going to lay this out for us so clearly as he explains to us the law and and the gospel. Uh, Begin here in verse 19. I'm going to read through it, and, and I'll read a little bit, and then we'll talk a little bit about this. Paul begins in Romans 3, 19, and he says, Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. Let me read that again. We know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped, and the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by, the, for by works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. See, Paul begins to talk about the law, and he begins to explain the law to us. And and here's what he wants us to understand about the law. The the, the law has one purpose, and and here's the purpose of the law. The law was created by God to reveal. That's what he's saying there, that that God created this law to to reveal, to to, to bring to light. And Paul just begins explaining in, in verse 19 and 20 that the law was created by God to reveal this problem that we have within us. There's this problem, and, and the law just begins to reveal that, that problem. See, what Paul is telling us is, is so important. What he's saying is that the law doesn't fix the problem. The law just points out the problem. And so God created this law, and, and the law doesn't fix this problem we have. The law actually just, just highlights this problem. The, the law just reveals to us that something is broken, something is wrong. The law reveals. Uh, the, the reformer Martin Luther said it this way, the law discovers the disease. The gospel gives the remedy. The law is that which discovers the disease within us. The gospel is that which gives the remedy for it. And so let me just point out a few things from those verses as Paul begins to explain to us what is the law for, why are there so many rules. He he begins there in verse 19, and he just says that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law. So in other words, the law or, or God's moral commands, the do's and don'ts of scriptures, speaks to all of us who have been placed under the law. It speaks to all of us who have been told to, to follow the law. In other words, God has given us these moral commandments, starting with, with his people in Israel, then branching off even into us, and, and he's begun to tell us these moral commandments that we're to live by. And so, so that begs the question, why? Why would God give this law? And I want you to look in the, begin, in, in the middle of verse 19 there. He says, so that what? So that every mouth may be stopped. It's a powerful statement. That God created these rules and he created this law so that your mouth would be stopped. And it says, so that every mouth may be stopped and, and what? The whole world may be held accountable to God. In other words, this law acts as this, this massive flashlight that just shines a light on the problem. And it says, the problem is that you guys are broken. The problem is that, that you are, are accountable and that you are, you are, you are sinful, that you are, you are broken. 
that, that God gave the law so that every mouth may be stopped, that God gave the law so that the whole world may know that it is accountable. See, the purpose of the law is to show our guilt and to make us accountable for sin. And Paul is just telling us that the law is doing exactly what it was intended to do. If you feel that weight, that's exactly what God created the law for. That God actually intended that weight to fall on you through the law so that you'd know there's something wrong, there's something broken, there's something in me that, that's, that's deeply flawed. Paul's saying that that's exactly what the law is supposed to do. The law is, it was created and, and is meant to reveal to you that, that you're broken. The law is created to show you that, that you're accountable and that something has gone deeply wrong. And, and then look back at verse 20. Um, I, I hope that you'll spend time just wrestling with this verse because this is incredibly important. For by works of the law, what does it say? No human being will be justified in his sight. It's a powerful statement. That means by, by trying to be good, no one will be made, made right in the sight of God. Just, justified means that you'll have right standing with God. And what this means is by trying to be good or trying to follow the law, not a single person in all of creation is going to be made right with God. See, the, the, the reason that this is important is that if you go on campus and begin to ask people, why is it that you deserve to get into heaven? Do you know the answer that you'll hear back most of the time? 80% of Americans believe that they are going to heaven because they've done more good than bad. That's what stats show us. If you were to go on campus and just start asking people, why is it that God should let you into heaven? Most of them would tell you, I've been pretty good. And whatever that standard is, I've done more good than bad, or I've, I've gone out of my way to help people, or I've, I've, I've tried to forgive. I've, there's all these, these standards that we use, and, and all that is is us saying, I've done enough works of the law that I think I'm justified in the sight of God. And Paul here is saying that it's never going to work, that no human being will be justified by works of the law. It's impossible. And he says, that for, the work, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes knowledge of sin. See, he, he's telling us that, that your works don't save you, your works can't save you, and that the law has one purpose. The, the law has is, is, is been given to, to help us understand and to know that we are sinful and that we are broken and that we need a Savior. And so, so very simply, the law reveals the, the law reveals for us that we can't keep the standard. The law reveals for us that, that within us we're broken and, and that something has gone terribly wrong. The law puts guilt upon us and puts shame upon us and puts this, this weight upon us. And so if there's this weight that's upon you. What these verses are saying is God is the one who's designed the law that that weight may fall on you. That the, the weight of the law, this is what it was designed for to be a weight that begins to press on us and, and push us and show us that something is, is deeply broken. And, and so one of the things I want you to know tonight is if, if you're feeling that weight, that weight is actually from God. And that's a strange thought. When, when I was feeling that weight from the age 7 to the age 20, that weight was actually something that God was doing in my life. And the whole time he was trying to show me something inside of you is, is wrong. Something inside of you is, is broken, and, and this law was just beginning to press on me and, and to crush me and, and to push me. So this, this weight of the law, that's exactly what Paul is saying. God created the law to be this weight in our lives that we feel. And so if you feel that, you're normal. If you feel that, it's actually a gracious God pushing you and showing you that, that you need hope somewhere else. 
And, and thankfully, that's exactly where, where Paul goes with this. He's going to begin to show us the hope of the gospel now, that the law places this weight upon us. The weight shows us our guilt. The law shows us our brokenness, and the gospel begins to, to, to work among that. But, but I don't want you to miss this. The law is doing what it was created to do. The, the, if you're feeling that weight, the law is doing exactly what God created it to do. And, and, and the thing you need to understand is that the law is not broken. You're broken. The, the law is not bad. The law is revealing that, that you are bad. See, a lot of times we become angry at the law because we can't keep the law. And the problem is not with the law. The problem is with us, that, that we are broken and sinful and rebellious people. The, the law is doing exactly what it was created to do. It's placing the weight of sin Upon, of you, upon you. And the reason that so many of you are frustrated is because you're not paying attention to those verses and what they just told us, that the law can't save you, the law can't fix you, the law can only reveal that you're broken and sinful and in need of a Savior. That the law is just reminding you that by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in, in his sight. And so this is horrible news in and of itself because it means outside of Christ we have no hope. It means that on our own, by working really hard or trying really hard, there's absolutely no hope in this world we live in. We, we discover and we feel this, this weight that's on us, but the law has no power to actually fix what's broken. It only has the power to reveal what's wrong, which makes verse 21 the greatest news in the world. Look at verse 21. Paul has unpacked the, the, the law for us, and he's unpacked the fact that all of us feel this weight pressing down. And then look at verse 21. He says, But now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. This this is the greatest news in the world for us. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. And what Paul is telling us here is that there's a way to be fixed, and it's not through the law. The law is not going to fix you. The law only reveals that that you're broken. The, the, The law reveals, but see, now Paul begins to introduce the gospel to us, and he says, while the law reveals, the gospel is, is, is what heals. The gospel heals us, and it begins to, to show us in our brokenness that there's hope and that, that God is at work. So, so if you feel that this weight, the law is doing its job, it's pressing down on you, it's showing you that you're accountable and that, that you're guilty. But see, if the weight is still on you, you're missing the second half of this passage. For, for me, I, I felt this weight upon me, but I, I never applied the second part of this, this passage. And Paul says you, you need the gospel. Well, let the weight of the law push you towards the gospel. While the gospel reveals, the gospel heals you. The gospel cleans up and fixes your brokenness. And Paul just goes into this beautiful explanation of, of the gospel. Let's just, let's read through this. Beginning in verse 21, he's beginning to tell us how the gospel heals. He says, but now the righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. So in other words, it's not through the law. It's not through the rules that you're going to be made right. Apart from the law and outside of the law, there's been made a way for you to become righteous. He says, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it, the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. So what Paul is beginning to unpack here is that that justification, in other words, being made right with God doesn't come through following the law. It actually comes through faith in Jesus Christ alone. That I'm not made better by trying really hard and trying to follow the rules. I'm actually justified and made right with God by faith in Christ. He's saying that being made right with God happens outside of the law, apart from the law, that believing that Jesus came to make us right with God begins to heal us. And Paul just points out that that the law and the prophets point to this, that the law and the prophets were there to show us that our deepest need is a Savior, 
that the law and the prophets all pointed to the time when Jesus would come and fix the problem. So I, I love, as you read through Scripture, seeing that this is the point of the entire Bible, and yet so many of us miss it. And I want to I just point out how, how this story began for us, that we, we read in the beginning that God created, and he created Adam and Eve, and he placed them in this garden, and, and Adam and Eve very quickly rebel against God and do their own thing. And so they, they basically tell God, we're, we're going to do our own thing. We're going to rule over our own lives. We're going to listen to you when we want to listen, but not listen to you when we don't want to obey you. And so Genesis chapter 3 paints this picture where, where Adam and Eve, the, the man and woman, have directly disobeyed God. And, and I want you to think about this. If, if you created these little beings and you told them, here's what you're supposed to do and here's what you're not supposed to do, and then those little beings directly disobeyed you, how would you respond to that? Yeah, I just, so you, you would crush them. You, would, you, you could create lightning. You could, there's a lot of different ways you could do it, but you would, you would take them out. You say, man, I, I just told them directly what not to do, and they directly disobeyed me, and they directly rebelled against me. But, but God doesn't take them out, does he? Genesis chapter 3 tells us that, that Adam and Eve sinned against God, and that the minute that they sinned against God, that they became, they became incredibly insecure with each other, and they became incredibly insecure with God. And so Adam and Eve actually run, and they, they hide, they, they cover themselves up, and then the next passage tells us that, that God actually came into the garden in the cool of the day and came looking for them. Uh, I want you just to imagine that. Adam and Eve have just rebelled against God. They know they've rebelled against God. They hide. And then all of a sudden, the next thing that happens in Genesis 3, it says that God begins to walk through the garden playing hide and seek with his creation. And, and Adam and Eve aren't very good at hide and seek, and God knows exactly where they're at. And he begins to ask these questions and he begins to play along with them. Where, where are you? Where'd you go? And, and all of a sudden, Adam begins to, to come out and tell him what they had messed up and, and what had gone wrong. And, and God looks down at, at Adam and Eve, and he begins to tell them the results of their sin. And in Genesis 3, he just begins to tell them the, the curse that their sin had brought upon all of creation. He told them that, that, that from now on, life would be filled with these thorns that, that the fall had created and, and had caused to, to inhabit his creation. But then in Genesis 3, 16, there, there's this beautiful verse where in the midst of all, the, all that has been cursed and all that has gone wrong, Jesus looks at Adam and Eve and he says, listen, I'm going to send one who's going to crush the head of the serpent. And that's all he says. That, that from now on, there's going to be fighting between, between evil, between the serpent, and between, between Eve and her descendants. There's going to be fighting from now on, but then he, he says to them, I'm going to send one who's going to crush the head of of the serpent. Do you understand what, what God is telling them then? That, that your only hope, now that you've sinned, is not cleaning up your act. See, God doesn't come down into the garden and say, okay, now here's some rules that if you do well enough on, you'll be back into my good graces. He doesn't tell them, if you jump through these hoops and obey me here and here and here, then you'll be mine. What he tells them is, you need a savior. That, that your only hope and creation's only hope is that I'm going to send someone who's going to defeat evil. I'm going to send someone who's going to crush the head of the serpent. See, in, in Genesis 3, when sin enters the picture, God points to Jesus. And he says the only hope that, that all of humanity has now is, is Jesus Christ. That he's going to come and he's going to take care of all that's gone wrong when you guys rebelled against me. And see, that's how this story has played out ever since that, that we sin and we rebel, and, and God's answer to that is Jesus Christ. 
says Jesus has come, and, and Jesus is, is coming to, to defeat what needs to be defeated and to, to fix what needs to be fixed and to redeem what needs to be redeemed. And the entire story of Scripture is that, that our only hope is not following rules and cleaning up our act and, and acting like we've got it all together. Our only hope is, is Jesus Christ, the one who came to, to defeat what we could never defeat. And so Paul is just laying that out and telling us that, that now righteousness of God has been manifested apart from the law. That the righteousness of God has now been manifested through Jesus Christ and it's given to us through faith for all who believe. And then look at where he goes in there, verse 22. He says, For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ, whom God put forward as a propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. Paul just begins to unpack for us how the gospel heals us. He begins to unpack for us that, that the gospel heals us. And I just want to walk you through phrase by phrase what, what he's saying here and just point out that, that, that Paul's love for the gospel as it heals. He says there in verse 23 that, that all have sinned, that, that all have, have sinned. In other words, the only thing that we bring to the table when it comes to our faith is sin, that, that we are sinners, that we are, we are broken that we bring the, the sin to the table and that, that God begins to deal with that. So, so that's, that's really our part in this whole thing. We, we sin, we rebel, we, we do exactly what God has told us not to do. And Paul just points out that, that all have sinned and fall short of the, the glory of, of God. Uh, just to make sure you understand this, sin doesn't mean you've done a few bad things. Sin means that in your heart you live in rebellion towards God. And those begin to manifest themselves as these outward signs of rebellion. But sin is way deeper than just your actions. Sin is in your heart you want to reign. In your heart you want to be king or queen. And it's saying that all of creation has sinned and falls short of the glory of God. And then in verse 24, but it says, And are justified by his grace as a gift. That, that we are justified by his grace as a gift. And, and what's beautiful about this text is that that being justified, in other words, being made right in the eyes of God, isn't something that we do, it's something that we're passive in. In other words, this is saying, this is something that is given to you, not something that you do. And so it literally says, being justified. In other words, God justifies us, he, he makes us or declares us righteous when we're still sinful in our nature. Why does he do that? It says, by his grace. Because God is a loving God, because he is, is gracious, he justifies us, he declares us righteous, even when we're still in our sin. And it says, as a gift, w without a price, that, that you can't pay for this, you can't earn it, you can't purchase this, purchase this, that it has been purchased for you. And he says, through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. See, Paul uses this word that, that was a, a word that was very, very linked to slavery, in those days, slavery wasn't really a racial thing. Slavery was an economic thing. And so if you became uh, a person who had great debts, what you could do was sell yourself into slavery so that you could begin to earn money and pay off the debts that you owned. And every now and then what would happen was, was a very wealthy and generous owner would buy a slave and purchase for them this freedom and redeem them. So they, they would pay for them and just pay their debts off for them and say, no, you're, you're not my slave, you're, you're free. And they were redeemed by the, the purchase that the owner had bought for them. And Paul is using that imagery and saying, this is what Christ has done for you through his blood. He has redeemed you. He has paid for you. And the payment was the blood of Jesus Christ. 
that set you free, that you were justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that's in Christ Jesus. Then he goes on to say this was to show God's righteousness. Because in his divine forbearance, he had passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus Christ. And, and so, so to get to the bottom of, of, of this idea of us being healed, something had gone terribly wrong. And, and, and like we talked about, the, the law just reveals that. That, that you and I in our soul have rebelled against God and that the weight of the law just begins to press down on us. But that the gospel begins to heal us and it begins to, through the blood of Christ, free us and, and redeem us. And Paul ends here by saying that, that what happened on the cross was to show that, that, that Christ was both the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in, in Jesus. See, what he means by that is that for, in order for God to be just, he had to do something about sin. Uh, I think that just, that, that just makes sense to us, that, that if everything in creation has gone wrong and, and is sinful and, and broken, a holy and righteous God can't just be okay with that. That if things are broken and if there's sin that has been committed, a holy and a righteous God can't just look past sin. And so, in other words, in order for God to be just, payment had to be made for the wrongs that have been committed, including every single wrong that you've committed. If God just let go the wrong that you've committed, God is no longer just. So, so there's this massive problem. At the same time, we're told that, that God is just, but he's also the justifier. And so what happened on the cross is that God just couldn't look past sin. He's holy and just and righteous. And so on the cross, he paid for the penalty for our sin. In other words, he said, this has to be paid for. This, this has to be dealt with. And the only way for it to, to happen is for me to become a human and to come and live with them and to pay the debt that, that they owe so that, so that he could be just and so that also he could be the one who justifies us and who makes us free and who redeems us. See, the death of Jesus is not only proved that, that he would act against all sin, it also proved that, that he loved us who were sinful, that he not only had to judge all that was wrong, but that he loved those who were committing the wrongdoings themselves. And so this is the good news of the gospel. Paul just uh, lays out for us in Romans 3 that, that the gospel heals us, that the law reveals for us what's wrong, and the gospel begins to heal us. And that we're healed apart from the law, not by, by being good or by striving after righteousness, that we're actually healed apart from the law as a, a gift. It's something that God presents to you and says, listen, I've done this for you. You don't have to earn it. You, you've been healed. That, that, that it's apart from the law as a gift through faith because God is gracious by the blood of, of Jesus Christ. And I love that Paul just begins to lay out for us really what we've been talking about for, for three weeks here that God took the initiative to heal us, that, that God's the one who came and, and, and that, that the gospel is all about a God who transferred righteousness from God's account to ours. It's about a God who has shown us grace because he's good, not because we're good. It, it, all of this puts God's love for us on display, not ours for him. And at that moment, I hope that you begin to see how healing begins to take place. See, because for so many of you, you've been trying to behave yourself into God's grace. You've been trying to follow the rules so well that somehow this weight will be lifted and God will be somehow pleased by that. And what Paul's telling you is that could never happen. By works of the law, no human being will be justified in the sight of God. 
See, for, for me, the, the, there was this moment of healing where as a church kid, I remember sitting down for lunch with this man who, who just began to speak truth into my life. And he began to ask me a lot about who I was and what I believed. And I began to just tell him who I was and tell him kind of what I believed. And, and uh, I didn't want to tell him that, that really deep down within me I was feeling this weight and, and I didn't know what to do with it. And, and we met for lunch a few times and we just began to talk about life. And about the fourth or fifth time we got together, I remember he just stopped me in the middle of a sentence and he just asked, Kyle, do you, do you believe that God loves you? Do you believe that? And that question kind of caught me off guard. I wasn't really expecting him to ask that. And, and I'm a church kid, so I know the answer to that question is, yes, God loves us. I, I know that. And so I looked back at him and said, yeah, yeah, I believe that. I believe that God loves us. And I remember he looked back across the table at me and said, no, you, don't, you don't believe that. He said, I, I look at your life and I look at the way you live, and if you really believe that, your life would look way different. And I remember just sitting there and hearing those words and my first thought honestly was, what, what a jerk. Who is this guy to tell me that I don't believe that God loves me? And I remember sitting there, and, and we, we, we finished lunch together, and he took me back to my dorm, and I remember going to my dorm, and I was still kind of offended that he said that to me. And I remember laying my head down on the pillow that night and, and just thinking, man, I, I think he's right. I, I think he's right. I think, I think all of my life I've said I believe that, but I don't know that I really believe that. And I remember that night just beginning to, to work through a God that loves me. And then over the, the coming weeks, we would sit down for lunch once a week. And every week, he would come back to this idea of, of Kyle, God loves you. He, he loves you. He's not surprised by any part of your life. He knows everything about you. And yet, he still loves you completely. I remember him saying, on your best day, God wasn't more loving. And on your worst day, he wasn't less loving. God is unconditionally loving towards you. He loves you completely. And your performance, you're keeping the rules and you're showing up at church and you're reading the Bible and you're doing these things and not doing these other things. God isn't somehow more pleased when you're doing good and less pleased when you're doing bad. God loves you. And he loves you so much that he was willing to send his son to free you. And I remember hearing that and I remember just beginning to process that and that sounded to me like the craziest idea in the world. That this creator God wasn't looking down on me and he wasn't keeping score and he wasn't saying, okay, today Kyle did really well. He woke up early, he read his Bible, he shared his faith, and so, man, I'm really pleased with him today. And, uh, and at the, the darkest moments, God wasn't sitting there saying, man, I can't believe what a, what a screw-up Kyle is. I'm, I'm ashamed of him. I'm, I'm, I'm disappointed in him. That, that God's love was this steady force in my life, that he loved me. And I remember I would, I would begin to think through these thoughts that I'd always had and I would just begin to catch myself believing the lies of Satan that, man, God couldn't really love you like that, that there's no way. And I remember just thinking over and over again, man, if God really loves me like that, that's insane. If God really does feel that way about me, it changes everything about me. And what began to happen for me is I began to feel this weight just get lifted off of me. And I began to realize that, man, there are so many parts of this that, that I screw up, and there's so many parts of this that, that I don't do well but Christ has paid that for me. Christ has set me free. Christ has taken the weight of my sin upon him, and the gospel just began to heal me and to heal me. And now about 13 years later, the gospel is still healing me. That There are still these places where I catch myself performing my way into God's grace, and, and I just catch myself saying, man, God loves me completely. God loves me so much that he calls me his son, not because I'm good, but because Christ was good. 
And my only hope is, is not that I perform really well today. My only hope is that Christ performed perfectly. He lived a righteous life, and then he went to the cross, and he bore this weight for me so that I could be set free. And so for some of you tonight, I want to encourage you to understand that the weight that's upon you is the weight that God designed the law to put upon you. But I want to tell you, for most of you, you haven't got to this second part, that the law that presses down on you is meant to press you into Jesus Christ. That this weight is meant to press you into his grace and his mercy. It's meant to show you that there's nothing you could ever do to fix yourself, and that only what Christ did on the cross can fix you. In fact, look at, look at where this passage goes and, and where we'll close tonight. The result of understanding this all. Paul just lays it out in these last few verses, the result of right understanding, and he begins to just explain what understanding the law and what understanding the gospel begins to do for us. And he says this, Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded. By what kind of law, by what kind of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from works of the law. Or is God the God of Jews only? Is he not the God of Gentiles also? Yes, of Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised by faith. What Paul is saying here is this, that when we begin to understand what the law is for, that the law was created by God to reveal our brokenness. When we begin to understand that, that it doesn't fix us, it just reveals to us that something is broken. And when we allow the law to press us into the gospel, when we feel that weight and we just realize, Christ, I need you. This is an area of my life that I I need you, that, that only you can heal me. He says, when we begin to understand that, two things happen. One, we boast only in the gospel. We, we become people who boast only in the gospel. The, the gospel is what we talk about 24-7. The gospel is what gives us life. The gospel is what excites us. When we're talking to our friends, we can't help but say, you've got to understand what, what God has done for us. We, we boast only in the gospel. See, I, I think we live in a, a boastful culture, don't we? We, we live in this culture that loves to, to boast. So, so all of us, we take some strange delight when people notice that we're good at something. So is there anybody in here that doesn't? If someone sees you doing something that you're good at, there's just something in you that it just feels really good. Like, man, I, man, I like that. And so some of you are, are very subtle at this. Some of you are, are kind of the humble bragger. And so you're the, you're the guy or girl at class who you make a really good grade on a test, and you kind of just look over at the next person and say, what would you make? You're like, man, I made a C. And you're like, oh, that's too bad. <laughs> and, and you just kind of subtly leave your paper out. and ha- You made like an A, and you're like, man, I'm good. So you're just kind of the humble bragger. Or, or maybe you, you leave out all of your high school accomplishments in your dorm room. So you've got like a, a football trophy on your, on your uh, and people are walking in like, what is that? And you're like, oh, man, I didn't even see that. Man, that's my, that's my trophy. It's awesome. So, so some of you are really good at hiding this. You're good at being the humble braggart. Some of you are just straight-out braggarts. You don't even try to hide it. You wear the shirt that says, I'm awesome, and you still wear your letter jacket that has all your patches and all your awards on it. You just you go right at it. But, but we live in this boastful culture. We want people to see us and to think we're good. And see, I, I love what Paul's saying here. He's saying that that desire for people to, to see us and to think that we're good is wrong. Do you understand that? Because when we understand the gospel, what we begin to say is, when you look at my life, there's nothing good about me that's mine. That's what the gospel says. That the, the, the gospel tells me that I am a wicked, rebellious, 
sinful person. That's who I am. So, so that's who I am. I'm, I'm Kyle. I'm a wicked, rebellious, sinful person. I have a heart that loves to push against and rebel against God, and that's who I am at my core, and that's what the gospel says about me. And then there are some gifts that God has given me that, that I get to exercise, and every now and then when somebody sees one of my gifts and comments on it, it makes me feel really good until I come back to this idea that there's nothing that I have that God hasn't given to me. So anything that I'm good at, it's not because I, I decided I'm going to be really good at it. It's because God has given me a gift that he's given me to use for his glory, and yet I like to just steal that glory and make it about me. And Paul's saying when the gospel begins to sink in, when it begins to sink in that you are sinful and, and broken, when the weight of your sinfulness and the weight of your rebellion falls upon you and, and that's revealed to you, you no longer boast in yourself. In, in fact, you sit down with other people and you tell them, man, I'm a complete screw-up. My, my story is a story of me over and over and over again proving the grace of God. Because that's really what this story is about. It's about us being, being people that, that go the wrong way and, and do the wrong things. And, and, a, and a righteous God who lovingly pursues us and chases us down with his grace and pours it out upon us. And so our, our story goes from, from us talking about ourselves, about how good we are, and, and wanting people to notice that. And, and, and as the gospel begins to sink in, we no longer want people to see us and to see what we're good at. All we want them to see is that we have a God who is good and who is loving and who loves us. And so we no longer try to hide the areas that we're weak. In fact, we let people see that in my weakness, God's glory and his majesty has showed off, that, that he shows up and that, that he is made more famous. And, and so we begin to boast only in the gospel. We begin to talk about how good God is. We begin to talk about how he's the one that deserves glory. He's the one that, if there's anything good in me, it's him, not me. See, we begin to boast in the gospel. We talk about it, and we, we point others to it, that, that God is good and that, that our boast is only in the gospel. And then he says this, this other line, this, this last sentence, and then we'll close up and, and pray. But he says, verse 31, do we then overthrow the law by this faith? And so I, I love that Paul asked this question. He's asking here, since we've been saved by faith, can we get rid of the law? Since we've been saved by the promises of God, can we, can we throw off the commands of God? And, and look at his answer. By no means. On the contrary, we uphold the law. Do you, do you see what Paul's saying here? This thing has gone full circle from Paul telling us what the law is for, and now he's told us that the law can't save us, it can only reveal our brokenness, but that the gospel saves us. And now he comes back to, okay, well, so what do we do with the law? So why do we have all these rules? Why do we have the law. And he says, can we just throw the law out? Can we get rid of all these rules? Can we get rid of all the commands of Scripture? And Paul says, by no means. In fact, we uphold the law. See, what Paul's telling us here is, is something that, that I think is pretty incredible that begins to happen as the gospel sinks into us. See, as the gospel begins to sink in, we actually begin to delight in a law. That may sound really, really strange to you, but, but as the gospel sinks into us, as, as we begin to understand that we are accepted not by our performance, but by Christ's performance, we begin to actually delight in this law. We begin to delight in the commands of God. And I'm actually stealing that language from, from the psalmist, from David. If you've ever read through the psalms, David, he writes these poems, and he's kind of bipolar. And so in one of them, he's like, God, where are you? And then the next one, he's like, oh, God, here you are. I found you. 
And then in one, in one psalm, he's talking about how, how heavy the law is. And then the next one, he's talking about, Lord, I, I delight in your law. I love your law. And I, I want you to notice that, that David is a guy who really deeply violated the law. Have you ever read David's life? David was a man who committed adultery with a woman and then had her husband killed to cover it up. Right? So if there's anyone who should look at the law and feel guilty, it's David. He, he killed a, a, a woman's husband who he had an, an affair with. The, the law convicts him. The law condemns him. The law reveals that. And so how is it that David, who is an adulterer and a murderer, can look at the law of God and say, man, I delight in this. I love this. See, what's happened for David is what I hope happens for us, that the guilt and the weight of the law has pressed him into his need for a Savior. That the weight of the law, the weight of his brokenness has pressed down on him to the point where he realizes, my only hope is a Savior. My hope isn't me being good. My hope is that God is good. And that God's going to do something to fix all that I've messed up. And so he begins to delight in the law. He begins to say, man, this law is good. The commandments that you've given me are, are good. The, the, the law actually gives me life. It, it brings me life. See, when we begin to understand the purpose of the law, we no longer hate the law. We, we, we realize that it's doing what God created it to do. It's, it's revealing for us and showing us our brokenness and showing us our need for the gospel. And it's driving us to the gospel to heal us. And then we actually begin to delight in the law because we don't just tolerate the law, we begin to realize the law is good. And we begin to see what the law really is, that they were healed by the gospel, but more and more, the law is not the problem, we're the problem. And, and the law was given us for something completely different. And, and so why would God give the law? Why would Paul say we, we uphold the law? Why would David say we, we delight in the law? See, once you understand the gospel, you understand that you've been adopted into God's family. And that's an insane thought. You've been adopted into God's family not because you're good and not because you've repented enough or, 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 or cleaned your life up enough. You've been forgiven and adopted into God's family because Christ was good and you placed your faith in him. And so what that does positionally for you, you are now a son or daughter of the living God. You are the son or daughter of the living God through what Christ did. And as you begin to think about what the law is, I want you to understand that all good fathers make rules for their children, don't they? Every good father, every good parent makes rules for their children. Why? Because they love their children. And so my four-year-old and my two-year-old, we have some very basic rules in our house, and the reason we have rules is because I love them and I want to protect them. And so, so a few of the rules we have, don't play in the street, right? Good rule or bad rule? Good rule. When you were three, good rule or bad rule? Bad rule, right? Because the street is fun, and, and, God, and, and Dad must have placed that, that, that rule in my life because he hates me and doesn't want me to have fun, right? Bless you. Bless you. Okay. So, so as, as a three-year-old, playing in the street is awesome, and, and the only reason Dad would tell me not to play in the street is because he must hate me, right? We have another rule. We have, we have this rule, don't pick up the dog and carry it by its neck, right? <laughs> good, good rule or bad rule? For the dog, it's a great rule, right? But, but for my three-year-old, man, dad hates fun. Dad, dad just doesn't want me to have fun. He, he, he must hate me. He must not love me. We have this rule that my kids can't drive, 
They're four and two, and they don't like that rule. They think they should be able to drive the car. We, we, we have this rule that, that my kids can't play with guns, right? They haven't asked yet, but it's a rule. They can't play with guns. Right? See, see, all good parents put rules upon their children because they love their children. And for most of you, you had parents who gave you rules, not because they hated you and not because they wanted you to have less life. They put rules upon you because they loved you and wanted you to have more life. And when the gospel begins to sink into your life and you begin to realize God gives us his commandments not to to kill life, but actually to to save life. And, And God creates rules and he tells me what to do, not because he hates me, but because he loves me. You actually begin to delight in his law. And that doesn't mean you're always going to understand it, but as you begin to understand more and more your identity that you are the son and daughter of God, that he's adopted you into his family, and because he loves you, he's going to give you guidance so that when God gives you a command that you don't understand, rather than saying, man, God must hate me, you begin to say, man, God must really love me. And God must be able to see some things that I can't see right now. In the same way that my three-year-old can't see that in the street they can get run over. For a lot of you, God is giving you these rules that you don't understand and you're fighting back and saying, man, God must, must really, really hate me right now. And the loving father is just saying, no, I, I love you. I love you. I've, I've created rules for, for sexuality because I love you and I'm trying to protect you. I've created rules for the way you live your life because I love you and I'm trying to protect you. And for you, as you begin to understand the gospel, as it begins to sink into you that, that you are a son or a daughter of the living God, these rules become confirmation that there's a God who loves you and wants to guide you and wants to walk alongside you. And when you break them, it doesn't crush you. It, it actually pushes you back to your daddy where you run to him and, and confess to him and he's the one who heals you because he's paid for the weight of this sin that it placed upon you. And so we begin to delight in the law. And so I, I hope tonight that, that this begins to clarify some things for you, that, that the gospel and the law are both from God and they're, they're given to you for, for your good, that the law reveals what only the gospel can heal. And some of you have been trying to use the law to, to fix yourself, and that can never happen. That the law reveals for us, and, and the gospel alone heals us. And so I, I want to close tonight. Josh is going to come back up and play, play another song. But, but I want to just talk to those of you who raised your hand, or maybe you didn't raise your hand, but, man, you're just feeling this weight. And you're just feeling this pressing down upon you. And you've always just struggled with where, where's that coming from, and why do I feel that, and, and what do I do with that? And I want you to know tonight that the law is doing what God created the law to do. If you feel that weight, the law is doing what God created the law to do. It's revealing to you that you are broken. It's revealing to you that, that you, are, you are a sinner, that you have rebelled against God. And it should hurt, but I want you to understand it's a good hurt. Right? That, that, that this pain that, that is on you is a pain that, that God has given to you as, as a gift. See, in, in the same way that our physical bodies when we hurt ourselves, we should feel it. Our souls hurt, and we should feel it when they're, when they're broken. And so I want to encourage you that, that you're feeling the first part of this passage, that the law has revealed for you that something is broken, and I want to push you to the second part of this passage and, and ask you to allow the gospel to do what only the gospel can do, and that is to begin to heal you. I want to encourage you to allow the gospel to do what only the gospel can do, that, that only the gospel can heal you. So I want to invite you tonight to to drop the weight, to to ask God to take the weight off of you. And there's only one way for that to happen, and that is to understand that that the gospel has taken this weight off of you. That what Christ has done on the cross, that he has taken your guilt, and he's taken that upon himself. 
that, that you are guilty before a holy God and because God is just, that has to be taken care of, that he can't just look past it, but that the gospel tells us that, that Christ is both the just and the justifier, that he paid for the, the, the sin, that, that he took of the wrath of God upon himself, and at the same time he justified you and he, he took this weight and took it off of us. Uh, I want to just point out two passages and then we'll close. Isaiah 53 told us that this is exactly what Jesus is going to do. This is about 600 years before Jesus lived. Isaiah 53 spoke of Jesus coming and and taking the weight on for us. And it just says that surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon uh, Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. What that's telling us is that this weight was placed upon Christ. And then the words of Christ, this is in Matthew 11. This is the invitation that I want to leave with you tonight. For those of you who are feeling this weight, Jesus said, Come to me, all you who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Those words are to you tonight, that the the Spirit knew that you were going to be here and is saying to you, those of you who feel this weight, run to me and let the weight press you into me. Let let the weight of your sin press you into the gospel, that God has paid for that weight by what Christ has done. Christ just invites us to take his yoke upon us and learn from from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. You will find rest for your souls that this weight will be lifted. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. So I I just want to pray for us tonight. I want to encourage you tonight uh, to ask God to take this weight uh, off of you. For for you guys to leave this place tonight and to leave knowing that the weight that I feel has been taken care of by the gospel, that I no longer have to strive after proving that I'm good enough, that, that what Christ has done has made me good enough.